0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hi there and welcome to our house. Uh, Like many of you, during this time of COVID-19, I'm under lockdown and I know like uh, many of you, um, I'm probably also um, sort of eager for this time to end. I think for, for many of us, these last couple of weeks have been the longest few years in our lives, or at least felt that way. And um, But the good news is we're going to get through this. The good news is the, the lockdown is going to end. The good news is that we're going to get through this period, this season, this difficult, uh, turbulent season. And life's going to re- not, maybe not return back to normal, but at least return back to a new normal. And um, I I always think about it, and I've been thinking about it for the last couple of weeks, um, in, in a sense... Um, I, I'm a firm believer that any situation is, is a situation we can learn from and grow in. And it's it's as though we're paying serious school fees um, at this moment as a, as a global community. And uh, since we're already paying these exorbitant school fees, you know, we might as well learn what we need to learn and what we can learn from, from the situation uh, and make the most of it. I uh, remembered uh, a story just something that happened to my brother, my elder brother, Harry and I, uh, many years ago, we were about three, four years old in Somerset West where where we were born and we had a house which had a big piece of open field above it and in that field, there was a pond, a a beautiful, just pond with with crystal clear water and uh, there were obviously all kinds of uh, insects and and uh, frogs and stuff in it. So, uh, what we loved the most were the tadpoles, and uh, we we would go to that little pond, and and it would just look so beautiful, you know, clear, you and you could see, you know, everything in it, and we would just sort of be amazed at these little tadpoles, you know, swimming around uh, in, in in the pool, uh, and um, you know, obviously, eventually, our, our sort of amazement uh, and enjoyment went over into action, and we, we 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 would jump into the pool and start chasing the tadpoles, and all of a sudden, all the this mud. Uh, you know, we, we'd stir up all the mud at the bottom of the pool, uh, and within a you know a couple of seconds, the whole pool would, would be muddy, and we wouldn't be able to see any tadpoles anymore. And we were like, you know, where, where 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 did all of this come from? Uh, it looked so clear, and to our little three four year old eyes, you know, it was a clear pond. And then all of a sudden, when we jumped into it and started stomping around in it, the the mud rose up, and the water became all muddy and murky, and we couldn't see anymore. And I think uh, for many people. Uh, sort of this time is like that you know these turbulent times what happens is it stirs up things that you know we maybe we didn't know were there and sometimes we'd forgotten were there and 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 everything becomes murky and and, and muddy and and we can't see so clearly anymore and we start always start seeing things that that we forgot were there and and, and we start realizing oh it's it, it is there you know and i think for many people it's been an experience of especially in the West, we've had sort of a peace to our lives. But what has happened in this last uh, couple of weeks and months is these turbulent times have, have stirred up all kinds of fears and anxieties and troubles. And we've realized that the peace that we had wasn't as robust, um, wasn't as lasting as we thought it was. It, it was, a, it was a, a fragile peace. And uh, in the passage I want to read for us today, Jesus talks about peace, but it's a different kind of peace. It's not a fragile peace. It's a lasting peace. And um, I think it's, it's a message that we need to, to hear. So I'm going to read for us from John 20, verse 19 to 23. Uh, John was an eyewitness. Uh, he lived in Jerusalem. And he, he was an eyewitness who was very close to Jesus, uh, dearly loved by Jesus. Uh, and, and And this is part of his eyewitness account that he tells us. Uh, And it says in John 20, verse 19, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And said, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven." And and the situation here yeah, is Jesus was crucified um, and buried er- earlier in that week, and and this is that that uh, they, the text says that first day of the week. In other words. Um, it was it was the, the Sunday on which Jesus actually rose from the dead, and the, the disciples had already heard the accounts from Mary Magdalene, who had been to the and and the other women who had been to the um, tomb and found it empty earlier in the day. So they'd heard the accounts, but when they went to the tomb, or at least when Peter and and the beloved disciple went to the tomb, they found it empty, but they didn't see Jesus. So so they they. They knew that Jesus, or they'd heard the accounts or reports that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they hadn't actually seen Jesus yet until this moment. And then Jesus comes um, while they're behind closed doors, and He comes and reveals Himself to them. And and I always think it's um, a very appropriate scripture for now because, in a sense, just like we're under lockdown at this moment, the, the disciples were under lockdown, obviously for different reasons. Uh, but but also for fear um, they were they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and understandably so uh, you can you can imagine um, the, the the Jewish leaders had just killed their beloved master their their beloved Rabbi Jesus uh, whom, whom they'd walked with for, for a couple of years before this and um, you know fear was a natural response you know assuming that you know if if, if Jesus were killed then they could be next. So fear is a natural response in this in this situation, but fear is no no way to live. Um, so often, I mean, fear fear in a sense is a is a good response that that help that helps us to to do self preservation. You know, if you see something dangerous, you want to withdraw from it, you want to protect yourself from it. So so there's nothing wrong with fear per se, but fear is no way to live. Uh, there are always cha- uh, threats in this world. There are always dangers in this world, and if we are not careful, we can live in a constant, perpetual state of fear, um, and uh, th- they were experiencing that that fear, and, and and very understandably so. One thing I I, I read um, it says when the disciples were together, and I thought to myself when I read that, at least they got that right. <laughs> at least they were together, you know, and and they weren't isolating themselves. I think in some senses we're um, in a bit more difficult situation where we have to self isolate. Uh, but we can't even, in most cases, self-isolate together like the disciples could. Uh, we we have to do it separately in many cases. But um, you know, we can at least in this time try and stay in contact. At least we have uh, the internet. We have we have all kinds of ways, you know, WhatsApp or, or Zoom, um, online platforms with which we can still connect. And I want to encourage you: let's let's even though we have to self-isolate, let's at least stay in contact with one another. Let's lead, at least, in a sense, do it together. Uh, so that we st- sort of, as far as we can, maintain that sense of community and togetherness in this. And uh, so in, in many ways, the, the situation corresponds to ours. And, and I think Jesus speaking peace to them. And, and a, not a fragile peace, but a robust, lasting peace. Um, that's a peace that we also need. I think many of ours, in many of our cases, our peace has been shown up as being much more fragile than we realize. And we need Jesus to come and speak a new peace to us, a robust peace, a lasting peace, uh, a peace that is not dependent on circumstances, a, a peace that doesn't come from circumstances and therefore that circumstances cannot take away. Um, because there will always be threats in the world. I mean, now it's cor- the coronavirus, um, but there will always be other things that, um, that threaten our peace. And we need to, to have the Lord's peace. So so I just want to discuss um, this text uh, just under four headings. Uh, I just want to look at the kind of peace that Jesus gives, the basis for, of the peace that He gives, the purpose of the peace that He gives, and then the power behind the peace that He gives. Um, let me just pray for us before I start sharing. Father, we just want to thank You for this time that we can spend together in Your Word. Thank You, Jesus, that, Lord, it's still true that where we gather, You gather, just like with the disciples, Lord, You came to them. Likewise, You come to us. And thank You, Lord, that even though we are, Lord, geographically separated from one another, Lord, uh, and, and we're only meeting virtually, Lord, that You are still with us. Lord, that, that, that You are still, that You still come, that, that spiritually we, we are together because there's no distance in the Spirit and that, and that spiritually You still come to us. And gather with us. Even as you promised in your word in Matthew 18. Where two or three are gathered in my name. Even if that gathering is not is, is not a physical gathering. But a virtual gathering. Thank you that you are still in our midst. That you are with us. And that we can experience you just like the, the disciples did. On that first day of the week. In Jesus name. Amen. Um, so let's let's start by looking at the kind of peace that Jesus offers, and, and like I said, Jesus came to them, and 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 I really do believe it's still true that we Jesus gathers, where we gather, and even if that gathering is is not a physical gathering, even if it's a virtual gathering, Jesus is with us. He's he's here right now, and I, I I pray that you might experience His presence and that you might experience the joy of His presence in in much the same way that the that the disciples did. So Jesus came to them, and and the interesting thing, and, and this is I, I think maybe. It wasn't one of the things that at that stage gave them peace, but maybe thinking back on it, it would have given them peace. Jesus came to them even though the doors were locked. In other words, he walked through a wall or something to get to them. Uh, and and when you th- maybe at that stage it would have actually increased their anxiety and their fear. But I think thinking back on it, they would have thought, hmm, you know, the guy who walks through walls, he's on our side, and, and that brings peace. Um, but this, this whole theme of peace is an important theme in John's Gospel. And in John 14, verse 27, let me just read that uh, for us. He uh, says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Just notice there at the end he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now he's, he's it's as though he's saying you take responsibility for it. You, there's, a, there's an aspect of, for which you need to take responsibility to make sure that your heart is not troubled. And that you are not afraid. By applying what he, what he reveals to us here to our hearts and to our minds. But he says, um, my peace I give you. And it's a peace that is different from the world. Now, how is Jesus' peace different from the peace of the world? Um, And and one one way in which it's it's different from the world um, is that he says it's my peace. It's not the world's peace. The world's peace is based on circumstances, the world's peace is based on you being in control. But but Jesus' peace is different, it's it's, um, irrespective of the circumstance. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, But he says it's my peace that I give with you, that I basically share with you. And and think of it in this way. Say you have a situation where, uh, say for arguments sake, an arranged marriage between a very rich husband and a very poor wife. And the poor wife tends to to worry and stress and fret about all kinds of things, about there not being enough, uh, about, you know, maybe there's a famine in the land and there's a shortage of food and so on. And she's all worried and the husband is, Calm and at peace because he knows he has the resources to deal with us. and and I think in many ways we're like that. You know, we as the church are Jesus's bride. We've grown up in poverty, spiritually and and even physically and and, and psychologically speaking, we've grown up in poverty. We've been con- conditioned under poverty, and 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 we sometimes forget that we've married a, you know, spiritually speaking, we stepped into covenant and 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 married uh, a very rich. Uh, husband who has all the resources in the world, who has all the power in the world. and We, we, we sometimes haven't discovered the extent of his his resources and his power. And, and sometimes we've forgotten the extent of his resources and power. And then we lose our peace. We, we're troubled. We're worried. We're in fear. Um, and and we forget, number one, how much he loves us. And number two, how capable he is, how much resources he has and, and how much power he has and how he can take care of us. Um, but That is what he's saying. He's saying, look at me. I know you're worried because there are certain things you don't know and there are certain things you have forgotten. But look at me. I'm at peace. My peace, my confidence, my boldness, I share with you. Um, Receive my peace. So it's Jesus' peace. And then... um, you know, it, it, um, it says in another verse uh, that also speaks about peace, uh, and just shows us that that theme of peace running through the gospel. In, in John sixteen verse thirty three, it says, "I've told you these things so that you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart; I have overcome the world." Said, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace, and 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 once again, that, notice that that the peace is for those who are in Him. In other words, those who are in covenant with Him. So the, those who have stepped into a marriage-like covenant uh, with Jesus, and 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 given them themselves to Him in in, in covenant. But He says, these things I've spoken to you. Um, in other words. Jesus' word, what He says to us, that's what's give, what, what, part of what gives us peace. His promises to us, His commitments to us, His word to us, um, that's what gives us peace. Uh, and, and we need to go back to His word. We need to go back to Scripture. We, we don't have Jesus physically with us, but through His word, we still have the living Jesus with us, the word of God, um, who became flesh. And, and, and He can still speak to us, just like He could speak to the disciples in, in uh, maybe in a slightly different way. Um, but He can still, in a very real way, speak to us, speak His words to us. And, his, and as we read His words, as we hear His words, and as, as the Spirit applies it to our hearts, it can give us peace too. But we need to go to those promises, those assurances, and we need to receive them for ourselves. We need to remember them. We need to remind ourselves of them. One of the most precious promises in this Gospel to me is where Jesus says, I am the Father. We hold you in the palm of our hands. My father is greater than anyone. In other words, those hands that are holding you in, uh, safely, um, those are the most powerful hands, not only in the universe, but, but anywhere, even outside the universe. Nothing can pluck you from my hands. Nothing can pluck you from my father's hands. And, and, and when I read that and when I start meditating on it and when I start applying it to my heart, it gives me peace. And we need to do that. We need to know that it's Jesus' words. as it, what, what, he, what's, what He speaks to us that is, is part of what gives us peace. Then also, He says, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Uh, in other words, trouble is guaranteed. Jesus doesn't, being in Christ doesn't exempt us from trouble and tribulation. In fact, Jesus guarantees we will have trouble. This is a troubled world. It's a broken world full of oppression, full of sin, full of brokenness, full of Cruelty. Full of death, full of disease, full of all of the bad things that take our peace, that steal our peace. And Jesus says you will have trouble. Guaranteed you will have trouble. But in the midst of the trouble, you will also have peace. Because I have overcome the world, he says. I've overcome this world. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in uh, in, in his um, essay uh, on living in an atomic age, and I and I'd encourage you to read it. Um, yeah, you, I'm sure you'll be able to find it online somewhere. Uh, he says this world is a sinking ship, and times like this, just like uh, for for C.S. Lewis and his generation, the Second World War and uh, you know the the atomic age uh, that started there, remind him that this world is a sinking ship. It's broken, and uh, times like this with the coronavirus remind us of the same thing, something that we've once again forgotten, but has been true all along. This is a this world is a sinking ship, but Jesus says. I have overcome this world. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. And, and it's it, we know the end of the story. We know how the story ends. And we're on the right side. If we're on Jesus' side, we're on the winning side. We're on the side that overcomes. And that should give us peace as well. And then finally, like I mentioned before, just to reiterate, um, the peace that Jesus gives, His peace is a peace despite circumstances. It's not a peace based on circumstances. It's not a peace that our circumstances are favorable, therefore we have peace. Because th- then, our circum- then our peace can be taken away when our circumstances change. But it's a peace that is despite circumstances. He says, even though you have trouble in this world, you can have peace in me because I've overcome this world. Um, Jesus doesn't come to them and say, peace be with you, because, you know, voila, you know, I've solved all your problems, I've removed all the threats to you. You know, those Jewish leaders that killed me and that, that maybe want to kill you and persecute you, I've dealt with them, they removed. Now, Jesus th- hasn't change their circumstances at all and yet despite the fact that their circumstances are, are exactly the same Jesus says to them peace be with you. In other words it's, a, it's, it's not a peace that's the absence of trouble or the absence of conflict but peace in the midst of trouble or conflict. I heard this story once of two painters, two very well known and famous painters, very good painters who were commissioned to paint uh, to do a painting on the theme of peace and one of them drew this beautiful landscape with um, tranquil river flowing by uh, with huge beautiful majestic mountains uh, and, a, and a peaceful forest uh, just as this, this this landscape that just to him epitomized peace you know no trouble no uh, you know no conflict nothing like that the other painter drew a, a picture of a massive violent storm with, with rain and hail falling down with lightning and thunder striking with wind blowing and gusting the whole place just leaves blowing all over the place you know branches being ripped off and in the center of this um, picture of just trouble and turmoil and conflict sort of under the, the, head, the ledge of, of, a, of a rock there was a nest with a, with a little bird sitting on it sheltered and at perfect peace and and you know when they put up these these paintings on display, the second painting where where it was peace in the midst of trouble was actually the one that really gripped people's heart, that really touched people's heart, and that really moved people who came to look at the paintings the most, by far the most. And and that is the kind of peace the world, the the the, the Lord gives us, that Jesus gives us. The peace that the world gives us is just peace that is based on circumstances, and, and that lasts only as long as the peaceful circumstances. But the peace that Jesus gives us can at last, even our circumstances. So Jesus never promised us trouble-free lives, but He did promise us trouble-free hearts, if we believe in Him, and if we believe in His Word. Then, uh, just after, immediately after saying, "Peace be with you," Jesus showed them His hands and His side. And in fact, the the, the, the author connects um, what He says when He says, "Peace be with you," with 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 showing them um, His hands. And his side. In fact, let me read that to you. He says Jesus, says, "Peace be with you." And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So, so he said immediately after he said this, he showed them his hand and his side. And, and there seems to be a connection, according to the the author, the, John, the 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 writer of this gospel. There seems to be a connection between um, what Jesus says and and, and and what he shows them his his hands and his side. And I believe it's because his hands and his side. And, and remember the scars. Left by the, by the nails in his hands and, 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 and the, the, the scar left by, by the spear. Earlier in the gospel, it says that, that the soldier who was executing Jesus stuck a spear into his side and blood and water flowed, uh, proving that Jesus was medically dead. Uh, and, and I believe that, that Jesus says that, that these scars are actually the basis upon which your peace, the peace that I'm giving you, is based. Um, so let's just look at that for a moment. Um, Jesus is basically saying to them, by showing them these scars that actually killed him, and he's saying to them, number one, even if your worst fears come true, and these Jewish leaders do to you what they did to me, you can still have peace, because here I am, they did their worst to me, and here I am still alive. I can show you the scars, and I'm still alive. In other words, death is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, it's just the end of the beginning if we are in Christ. And, 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 and that's the first thing that, that those scars are saying to him. Uh, the second thing is, it's interesting, and I just want you to notice, at the end of, of the, those verses, it, Jesus says, if, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. So he talks about forgiveness. Why does Jesus, in the face of physical harm, speak about forgiveness, forgiveness of sins? And, and I think the reason for that is, let, let me put it this way, Jesus is basically saying to them, as they are facing physical harm and, and threats to their lives and physical danger, that he's presenting forgiveness as the main solution to their situation. In other words, he's, he's basically saying to them, he's not belittling the, the danger that they face. He's not saying to them, oh, you know, you, you're just being unnecessary, you know, there's, there's no real danger. So he's not denying the danger that they face. The danger is there. It's a real danger, just like the danger we face with the coronavirus is a real danger, um, so Jesus is not dismissing the, the physical danger that they face, but he's saying to them that's not the greatest danger. The the, the, the conflict that you have with uh, that we as uh, that that they as human ha- beings had with other human beings in leadership, Jewish leaders, that was not the main danger to their life. Um, the lack of peace that they had with with these Jewish leaders, that was not the main lack of peace. Their the greatest need was was for peace with God, and therefore for forgiveness of sins, and. We so easily forget this that the greatest danger we face is not the temporal, physical danger of the dangerous world around us. The greatest danger we face are uh, is the danger um, from God as our judge, who will judge us for our sins unless those sins are forgiven. And you know, you know, I just want to um, make something very clear. Some people just say, okay, but yeah, you know, you believe in a God that judges, but, but I have peace by believing in a God that doesn't judge. And and I want to respectfully beg to differ. I don't think that can actually give you peace. Not if you think about it carefully. Um, I think C.S. Lewis said this uh, best. He says, um, basically, you know, if what we need is both a God who is just enough to judge sin in order to have hope for this world and peace in this world. Uh, and a God at the same time who is merciful enough to forgive sins in order to have hope personally and peace personally with God. Uh, he said it in, in this way, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing. He says, if God doesn't judge sin, what hope is there for the world and what peace can there be in the world? But if God does judge sin, what hope is there for us and what peace can we have uh? uh, with God in those circumstances. And and I I think it's a very good point. You know, if you just imagine for a moment a world in which there's no judgment uh, and therefore uh, a world in which um, lying and stealing and murder and oppression and cruelty are just rampant because there are no consequences to it. I mean that would not be a world with any hope in it, and in fact, that would not be a world with any peace in it It, it would be a, a a world completely devoid and and and, and um bereft of, of all of any peace, but at the same time, if God is just enough to judge sin then then there's trouble for us because then we can't have peace because we a part of the problem, uh, like Solzhenitsyn said, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he said that the line between good and evil runs down, right down the middle of every human heart. We ourselves lie and steal um, and, 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 and sin in all kinds of ways. And um, so if, if, if God does judge, then what peace can there be for us? What, what hope can there be for us? unless God is also a merciful God who forgives sin. So you need both a God who is just enough to, 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 to judge sin and merciful enough to forgive sin. And when Jesus showed them his, the, the, the scars in His hands and in His side, He was basically showing them that. On the one hand, He was showing them Himself as um, the sacrifice that, that took the judgment, the wrath of God upon Himself. He was saying, I've been judged. These wounds, these scars show that I've taken the judgment for sin upon myself. I remember once sitting on an airplane um, next to a gentleman uh, and I, I, he was reading something and it, looks like, it looked like a Koran to me. So I asked him, you know, what are you reading? And, and we sort of started a conversation you know, about uh, him being a Muslim and he was reading the Koran and what he believed. And so I asked him a few questions. And one of the questions I asked him is, um, you know, I've, I haven't really read much of the Koran myself, Based on what does Allah, your God, the God of the Quran, based on what does 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 Allah forgive sins? You know, is there any kind of sacrifice, any kind of payment for sins that He requires? And any kind? Does He demand perfect justice? And and the, and, the, uh, and this gentleman said, no, no, He doesn't. There's there's no sacrifice uh, for sin in in Islamic theology, not a, not that He knows of, and not that I know of either. So you know, there's no atonement. There seems to be, according to this uh, gentleman, no atonement. Uh, in Islamic theology, which means that, that basically um, Allah, the God of, of Islam, just basically sweeps sins under the rug. He doesn't punish all sins. Certain sins get swept under the rug and just ignored. Now, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is different from that. He will not allow any sin to go unpunished. That is how just He is. He will not sweep any sin under the rug. All sin will be punished. Either it will be punished in us or it will be punished in Christ. But all sins will be punished. There will not be one sin that will be left unpunished. That is how just He is. And and by showing them these wounds, Jesus was saying, I took that judgment. The judgment that you deserve, I took it upon me. But He was... Notice the, the sort of mirror side or the flip side of, of, of what Jesus was showing them. He was saying to them, I took that judgment. Not only that, that judgment has been executed, but it's been executed on me so that it wouldn't have to be executed on you. In other words, that shows... The mercy of God, in other words, God is not only a a just God who insists on punishing every single sin, but He's also a merciful God who comes and who takes that punishment upon Himself on behalf of those He loves and those who 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 receive Him and who put their trust in Him. And and only in, in other words, I believe it's only really in Jesus. Jesus is the only God in whom we can really have perfect peace, because He's both just enough to punish all sin. To judge all sin and merciful enough to forgive um, those sins, and that was He was sh- showing the disciples by showing them his hand and his side. and and and, and I think that's very powerful. Um, so you get two kinds of of peace, you know, the peace that that's the absence of conflict. I think the the painting of the tranquil um, scene of nature, and the the peace that's in the midst of conflict, and that's the peace that Jesus gives. And I can think of nothing that um, that Produces more powerful and more lasting peace than to see mortal wounds in a risen Savior. In other words, to see deadly wounds in a, in a living Savior. And that's what they saw. And through his word, that's what we can see. And I want, I want, I want you to in your uh, to, to really in your heart and to in, in your in your mind, in, in, in your spirit, to see Jesus holding up his hands to us and showing us, see these wounds. See this, this this scar in my side, it killed me, but I am alive. And in me, if you are in me, if you are united with me, if you are one flesh, spiritually speaking, with me, one spirit with me actually, then, in covenant with me, then, mortal wounds will also not kill you. I think there's, 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 Nothing more encouraging than that. So we spoke about the kind of peace that Jesus gives. We spoke about the basis of the peace that he gives. Let's just briefly speak of the purpose of the peace that he gives. Because Jesus repeats that phrase, peace be with you. And then he, uh, and then he basically sends them. And he says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What, what is the connection there between the peace and the sending? Uh, and it's, it's very simple. Uh, the sending is the purpose of the peace. Je- the Father sent Jesus into this world. Um, into this troubled world, into this broken world, into this world that is so full of anxiety and fear uh, and, and, uh, and cruelty and oppression. He sent Jesus into it to live that peace that he had and to give that peace to us. And it cost Jesus dearly to do that as we saw. It cost him his life to, to give his peace to us in the midst of this troubled world, uh, to overcome the world in that way. But Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace, firstly, vertically between us and God, and then also horizontally between um, us with one another. And and Paul says it so beautifully in in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says, uh, God brings reconciliation. He pleads with us, be reconciled with God uh, in Christ. And then he commits to us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, take that message of reconciliation out into the world and say to the world, be reconciled to God, have peace with God, and have peace with one another in Christ. Um, reconciliation is nothing other than the restoration of, of peace that has been removed. So, so in a situation where, there's, where, where, where peace has been removed through conflict, uh, reconciliation is the restoration of that peace between, uh, in relationship between two, two parties. And, and that's what Jesus came to bring. So in other words, the purpose of that peace is for it to be shared and for it to be multiplied. That's why Jesus was sent by the Father into this world. And that's why he sends us into the world. You know, it was to, to share the peace that he gives us. And, and I want you to think for a moment, you know, us who have this peace. How can we share that peace with, with people out there in the world? Lots of people are going online. Um, lots of people who usually don't go to church are actually going online and watching sermons like these and asking questions, you know, okay, fine, I realize my piece has now been taken away. It was a piece that was based on circumstance and it was a fragile piece. Uh, let me see what Christianity has to offer. Let me see if, if Christianity has a more robust piece. And we can offer that. And, and I want you to think about your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your colleagues who maybe don't have the peace that you have in Christ at this moment, how can you share that peace with them? How can you maybe make a video, maybe just a two-minute video, where you just give a testimony of how God, how Jesus has given you peace at this moment, despite the turbulent uh, circumstances, the the troubling circumstances around you? And maybe just share it with them and encourage them with that, and maybe even pray with them. Um, Then also just notice that um, you can only give what you have received. You know, we're very much aware of it in, 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 in this, you know, situation with, with the coronavirus that you cannot infect anyone else with the coronavirus unless you have first yourself been infected with the coronavirus. Um, and in sort of to, in, in the positive flip side of that, you cannot infect anyone else with peace unless you yourself has, have been infected with that peace, with that good infection, if I can call it that. Um, so allow Jesus to infect you with his peace so that you can go around infecting other people. And uh, in, in other words, let's be contagious in the good sense of the word. Contagious with, with the good peace that Jesus is, is infecting us with. Uh, and then also just notice that when you give that peace to someone else, it's not like you lose any of that peace. It's like uh, that old saying, if, you, if someone lights your candle, they don't lose any light. And if you light someone else's candle with yours, then you don't lose any light. And it's the same with the peace. By giving peace, the peace that you've been given by Jesus, by giving it to others, you don't actually lose any peace. In fact, if anything, your peace increases. Because um, I heard a couple of weeks ago a a beautiful saying, to to teach is to learn twice. When you teach someone else the peace that you have learned, you actually learn that peace more deeply yourself. And you receive it more deeply yourself. Um, And then finally, I spoke about the kind of peace Jesus gives um, the basis for the PC gives um The purpose of the peace that He gives and then finally the power of the peace that He gives. Uh, That's why He breathes on them and and speaks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power behind applying this peace. But you'll notice that this peace only really kicks in properly after Pentecost. Because, uh, you know, if you read the rest of of this chapter and even uh, chapter 21 of John's Gospel, it's a bit disappointing. The disciples are disappointing. They are not as peaceful. They are not as bold. They are not as confident as you would expect them to be. Why? Um, I submit to you that uh, it's because if you read the text, John 20 verse 19 to 23 carefully, and the rest of John's gospel carefully, you'll notice that when Jesus breathes on them, this is not an actual giving of the Holy Spirit. This is a symbolic giving of the Holy Spirit. It's as it were a prophetic pre-enactment of what Jesus is going to do on Pentecost. On Pentecost, he's going to breathe on his disciples and actually give them the Holy Spirit. But he's prophetically pre-enacting what he's going to do on Pentecost um, on this Resurrection Sunday. Um, let me just put it in this way. I think for for a long time this sort of escaped me because I was confused about, I was trying to look, okay, where, where did the, the apostles, where did they get saved? Where were they converted? And I was trying to look for a conversion experience that mirrored ours where you know we go from being sinners uh, to being saved. We're going from not following Jesus to following Jesus. We go from not being disciples to being disciples, whereas they went from, being saved under the old covenant to being saved under the new covenant. From already following Jesus under the old covenant, before the cross, before the giving of the Spirit and the and the blood his bloodshed on the cross, which were necessary for, for 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 the new covenant. Remember, he says this is the new covenant in my blood when he institutes the the um the communion. So they were already following Jesus in the under the old covenant, and then they went they converted to following under the new covenant. They went from being his disciples under the old covenant converted to being his disciples under the new covenant. So, so their conversion was not like Paul's conversion from being a sinner who persecuted the church and, and murdered Christians to, to being saved and, and, and planting churches. Their conversion, the conversion of the apostles' who followed Jesus on earth, was a conversion of being saved under the old, old covenant to being saved under the new covenant. Um, and, and, and John goes out of his way in his gospel to, to set the prerequisites for the giving of the Holy Spirit. For instance, he says in, in that portion in John 7, verse 39, 40, Around there, he says, he talks about the living water. Jesus talks about a living water. And then then John says, um, sort of an editorial comment where he says, And this Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him would later receive. Uh, And then he says the Spirit was not yet given in the new covenant sense of the word, for Jesus was not yet glorified. So so Jesus being glorified was a prerequisite for the giving of the Spirit. And if you you know, John clearly says what he means by glorification. He means everything from Jesus' execution on the cross to his enthronement at the side of the Father. So in John's Gospel, the the, the crucifixion is presented as a, as a as a glorification of Jesus. But but in John seventeen verse five, for instance, Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. In other words, Jesus' glorification is only complete when he's seated at the Father's right hand, when he's glorified with the Father. Um, and at this stage, when Jesus breathes on them, that that was not yet complete. The second uh, prerequisite. Um, apart from the glorification of Jesus, is Jesus' physical absence. He says, it's the advantage I go away. because unless I go away, unless I'm physically absent, I cannot send the other paraclete, my spiritual presence, in my place. So I need to go away, and then I will not bring the Spirit, but send the Spirit from the Father. So I'm going away to the Father, and then from the Father, you know, when He's glorified me in His presence, when I'm physically absent from you, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. Um, and that, also, that prerequisite also has not been fulfilled. So, firstly, the prerequisites for the giving of the Spirit has not been fulfilled. But then also, just in this text that we are reading, if you, if you read it carefully in, in John 22, it says, And Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, notice that the order there is the wrong way around. If I want to give you a tennis ball, I'm going to say to you, Receive the tennis ball, and then I'm going to throw it to you, and you're going to catch it. Okay? I'm not going to first throw it to you, and then after you've caught it, say to you, Receive the ball. See, the the order there is the wrong way around. Um, If Jesus breathing on them, were their actual receiving of the Spirit, Jesus would have breathed on them and said to them, you have received the Holy Spirit. He would not have, as he does in the text, breathed on them and then commanded them to receive the Spirit. The fact that he commands them after breathing on them to receive the Holy Spirit shows us that his breathing on them was not the actual reception of the Holy Spirit, but it must be a prophetic pre-enactment. Of what he was going to do on, on on Pentecost, but that phrase does tell us a lot about um, the power behind Jesus' giving of the spirit John uses a very interesting word that 's only used there once in the uh, this, this once in the New Testament uh, when he says jesus breathed on them it 's a word and he breathed on, onto them or into them um, it 's never used again in the, in the New Testament but it 's used in the old Testament in ezekiel thirty seven that 's that chapter about the dry bones and then Ezekiel prophesies remember um, I mean, the breath of God uh, in Hebrew, like in Greek, the, the the word for for breath, wind, and spirit are the same. Um, in in Hebrew, it's ruach. And and Ezekiel prophesies through the dry bones, and it, and he says, uh, "Breath of God, come and fill them." And 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 and, and you know the beautiful picture of of them rising up, the breath of God breathing into them, the Spirit of God basically resurrecting them into a mighty army. And Jesus is saying, when I do that, it's fulfilled. It's a new covenant promise or prophecy that will be fulfilled when I pour out my Spirit, when it's my breath. So Jesus is Yahweh that breathes His breath into us and resurrects us, a mighty army for the Lord. And that's what He does on on Pentecost. Um, And then also notice that the Spirit is is basically Jesus' breath. The Spirit So closely represents Jesus that it's his breath. And when the Spirit is with us and in us, then Jesus is with us and in us, and we can we can have his peace. So um, in closing, I just want to say that we can by receiving the Spirit like the apostles did on Pentecost, we can receive the same peace that they did and the same power that they did. So even though we're in physical lockdown, let us make sure that we're not in spiritual lockdown yeah even even if we have if we have lost some of our peace if if we have discovered that that our peace actually was more fragile than we realized um, not as as robust and as lasting as it ought to be then let 's go to Jesus and let him allow us to uh, let 's allow him to give us his peace a much more robust much more lasting peace that 's not dependent on our circumstances and that will not be that cannot be taken away when our circumstances change so let us let us receive his peace in the midst of trouble let um, let 's see the the everlasting basis of his death and resurrection that gives us that peace um, And and let's realize that that our living peace will live as long as our Savior who gives us that peace lives. And Jesus will never die again. He died once and He will never die again. He will live for eternity. And therefore the peace that He gives will last for eternity as well. Let's understand that that peace is to be shared with others. As He was sent to bring that peace, He sends us to take that peace into the world. And let us understand that the Holy Spirit, the, the most powerful being currently on earth, lives inside of us if we step into covenant if we believe in Jesus we, we believe the gospel and step into covenant with him and he breathes his very own spirit in, into us so that the the most powerful force in the universe strengthens and creates that peace in us and constantly reminds us and applies that peace to our hearts that is a robust peace that is a lasting peace that is a, an eternal peace that only Jesus can give Father we want to thank you Lord that you give us that peace, that beautiful, that powerful, that supernatural peace. And we just receive it from you right now. I just pray for every person um, that's hearing my voice that needs to, um, that, that maybe up to now has not believed in you, but that, that it, whose heart is being stirred and and, and who's looking at the, the wounds in your hands and your side and, and saying, Lord, I, I, I believe if, if these apostles were so convinced of your death and resurrection, that they were willing to die for their testimony that you rose from the dead, then then surely I can believe it. And I do believe it. And Lord, I pray that you'll just fill us with your Holy Spirit and fill us with your peace, fill us with your presence, uh, and that we will live as a community of peace in a time of trouble and and turbulence. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you, may his peace be with you.